eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Cheese it. Cheese it. Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horbach. Welcome in another edition of Curd and Long. Steve Sparky Fighter, 1250 AM The Fan. Beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Check out all the fine interviews I do over there at 1250AMTheFan.com. Uh, in place of Ryan Horvat uh, today, as Ryan is off uh, in New York City celebrating his 11th uh, wedding anniversary, he is our guy, Ian Cummings. Of course, we've talked to him in the past. Draft analyst for FroFootballNetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at IC underscore draft. Ian, thanks for coming on, man. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's that time of year. We're getting into the uh, NFL Combine later this month, so always fun. Uh, we had the Shrine Bowl, the Senior Bowl earlier this month, so a lot of checkpoints to kind of navigate through, and at the end of the day, what are the Packers going to do, too? They're always one of the more exciting teams for me personally because they always stack up a ton of picks, and I love picks, so uh, I love that part of it, but every team is fun to mock for, but uh, I'm happy to be here. All right, so let's talk about a couple of things. One, and I've mentioned this in other Kurt and Long podcasts, if you go back and listen here in the last week or two, I am addicted to ProFootballNetwork.com's Mock Draft Simulator. I am on it several times a day. I do it before I go to bed every night, and I am crazy uh, when it comes to this type of stuff. Uh, so get, let's get that out of the way first. But before we get to this year's draft, I saw something that I, I found uh, quite interesting before you came on. Chris Trapasso, I think that's how you say his name, writer over at uh, CBS Sports, did a redraft of this previous draft. Uh, and the Packers have three guys in the redraft. Carl Brooks, the defensive lineman, Jaden Reed, and Dontavian Wicks all go in his redraft uh, in the first round. These last two drafts have been pretty damn good for Brian Goodenkunst to this point. I think you would agree. Yeah, for sure. Last year in particular, uh, one that even when it came out, like late April, like, 
you could tell every single part of the draft, they got phenomenal value, right? There were a few picks that you could nitpick a little bit, like the kicker selection, Sean Clifford in round five, maybe a little early, right? But it's day three, so you have some wiggle room there. But by and large, the value that they got with every single pick, man, I was just looking like Carrington Valentine in round seven. Anthony Johnson Jr. was very good. Carl Brooks, like you said, already a very good rotational player. I think, you know, the draft is there's two components to it getting capital of course i think it's always good to get more swings but then using those swings properly that's one thing that the chiefs have done right you know trey smith in round six creed humphrey at the bottom of round two right after josh myers i'm sorry Packers fans but you know you look at that you know using those swings effectively is just as important as getting that capital in-house and i think the packers are starting to get that equation down and i'm really excited to see what they do this year one thing that um Packer fans have been kind of obsessed with here the last couple of years because there seems to be a uh, a way of figuring out who the Packers like and who they don't like is based on their RAS score, R-A-S score. And that just tells you about pretty much how athletic they are. And these dudes are only drafting guys that are essentially the ultimate athletes. And if you don't fit into that RAS score, which I think for the Packers, I think it's like really like 90 or above or something like that. Um, is what fits in, and you can pretty much dictate who they like and who they don't like just based on how they fall into that. How similar is that to other teams, um, or do other teams not view that as importantly as apparently the Packers do? I think the Packers are up there with the top guys. I think it's, you know, we're seeing a trend in modern NFL, right? You need to get more athletic. You need guys who can move, right? It's kind of, you know, that baseline need, but some teams have a little bit more wiggle room with what parameters they want, right? You know, some got some teams are okay with smaller guys if they're more athletic. Some teams are okay with, you know, guys who are kind of middle-tier athletes if they're, like, really mauling offensive linemen, right? So it's very unique because you have 32 different teams with 32 different processes and preferences, right? So that kind of invites infinite amount of variables in the equation. But the Packers are near the top for sure. Some teams are – a bit a little bit stringent kind of rigid with that threshold right they don't go below it a ton and i think the packers are one of those teams for sure i think you look at a team like the bengals right a little bit more lenient they they'll take offensive linemen in the five or six range and that's come back to bite them at, at, at times too so i think overall what you're seeing is that functional athleticism on tape usually translates to very good RAS scores which translates to success and, and more developmental potential too so i think the packers are kind of in the front of the wave and that's where you want to be you know, the other thing, too, because it is a copycat league, and that's kind of how this whole thing plays out. And because of the Kyle Shanahan offense that is being pretty much put into every NFL system uh, at this point, the way it looks. The one thing that I haven't really seen copycatted yet, at least not from a Packers perspective, I mean, they try with DeGuar, but it's not the same thing. You, that, that true fullback, blocking fullback. Um, that can go up into the hole and, and knock somebody out, something that they have used in San Francisco. You don't really see it as much in some of these other systems. And I just wonder if at some point the fullback will actually become a thing again. I think it'll become a thing, but not branded as a fullback. I think it's going to, there'll be a fullback role, right? Like guys, like I'll, I'll give a prospect from this year's class, for example, because the Packers selected Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave, I don't expect them to dip into that well again. But right. um, Ben Sinnott from Kansas State, he was oh, yeah. at the senior bowl as a tight end, but he can play H-back. You can actually line him up in the backfield and he can lead block for you. He's very versatile. I think we're going to see more of that, right? We're not going to see a ton of guys. There are still fullbacks like Kyle Juszczyk and Alk Ingold in the NFL that can survive in that niche role. But I think what we're going to see in more demand is tight ends who can 
kind of move into the backfield and out of it at will motion in and out be versatile and even receivers maybe if you have a receiver who's a very good blocker maybe motion him into the backfield right let him be a lead blocker so i think we're going to see that fullback role return but that position in you know in that individualistic sense i guess won't be there as much i think the versatility outside of that is just as valuable but you know i think we're going to see as offensive coordinators get more creative with their scheming their alignment i, I do think we'll see it come back Follow Ian Cummings on Twitter at IC underscore draft. Again, draft analyst for profootballnetwork.com. I, I want to pick your brain on, because you've been doing this long enough, as far as trends that you see with different teams. We talked about the Rascore trend for the Packers, but I think there's also a trend based on schools that these teams like drafting from um, on in certain teams and certain organizations. Obviously, here in Green Bay, Georgia has been one on the defensive side of the ball, and Iowa has been a thing going all the way back to the Ted Thompson era um, and now you're seeing John Dorsey, who has always been about Iowa guys, uh, now in Detroit and starting to draft Iowa guys as well. Yet, when you look at the Hawkeyes, they're not exactly a national championship team, but there's something there clearly that they like about that coaching staff and how they coach guys up um, and the players that they're getting and the impact that they can make rather quickly in the National Football League. Do you see teams, college teams with certain NFL teams? And you're just like, oh yeah, this is a match made in heaven. Good prospect, even up. They like this coaching staff uh, and coaching these guys, and they're going to take that kid from that college. I think it's 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 part of it for sure. It's not a big part of it because I think the draft board, like a lot of those players, some of these teams won't have opportunities to take them because they'll be taken beforehand, right? But I think if they are available at the right spot, you do see some of these teams kind of have an affinity for that. And I think it's kind of a it's a give and take. It's a feedback loop as well, because these are programs that are very well coached. I was known for, you know, you got character, you got tough guys, you know, Kirk Ferentz has been there for a long time and he knows how to coach these guys up, particularly on the offensive line, but at tight end, obviously with Sam Laporta uh, and then linebacker Jack Campbell. So I think it's a, it's a feedback loop where these programs that have coaches that have been there a while and are established and have a process that works and they've had time to settle into that and kind of get a rhythm. They produce more NFL talent, which then in turn, you know, endears NFL teams to that talent. And then they come back to those wells. Like, we know we can expect something from this team. At the same time, you don't want to helmet scout because sometimes that'll give, that'll cause you to give more credence to a prospect that maybe doesn't deserve quite as much respect on tape, right? Because, oh, he went to Iowa. But there's flaws there that need to be considered. So I think it's one of those things. It's part of the equation. I don't think it's a zero-sum thing where they're just like, oh, there's an Iowa guy. We got to take them, but I do think there is a little bit of a correlation. And you see it goes in cycles, too. Like, I remember Washington, when Ron Rivera was there, uh, they started out a couple drafts where they just took, like, four or five Alabama guys in the first two rounds. And it's like, you know, it's good to dip into those wells, but also be flexible outside of that. And so I think that's what we're seeing is that the coaching naturally – uh, establishes a kind of correlation between success, but, you know, it's not zero-sum thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get into talking specific prospects and Packers and all of that stuff, got another one for you. Uh, so as you mentioned, Packers got a lot of picks, right? So you've got one in the first, two in the second, two in the third. Uh, and I, I've been preaching uh, on this podcast that 
I'm fine with them trading back from 25 or trading back in whatever round to accumulate more picks. But for me, if I'm trading back from 25 to 27 or 28 or whatever the case may be, I want something for next year. I, I don't need anything more for this year. I'm good. I've got five picks in the first three rounds. I'd rather give me another second round pick for next year or give me another third round pick for next year. I'd like to be in a situation as an organization where going into every draft, I've got multiple twos, multiple threes, uh, and stuff to play from in case I get to a situation where, dude, there's a stud that's going to win me a Super Bowl. I'm one player away. I know I have draft capital to move up in the first round by dealing a whole bunch to go up and get that player. Think, and again, it didn't end up winning them a Super Bowl. It got them there. And Julio Jones, that Julio Jones trade for Atlanta, they gave up the farm thinking he was going to be the piece of why they would be able to beat the Packers after that. And eventually they did get to the Super Bowl and choked it away. Uh, I want to talk about Kyle Shanahan, but but that that is that is something that occurred, and I'd like for the Packers to be in that situation versus you know drafting eight guys in the first three rounds this year, and then the rest of the draft. I'm, why even bother with the rest of the draft at that point if you got that many draft picks uh, at that point? What what are your thoughts on trading back, trading ahead, and, and having draft capital year to year? Yeah, and I know I'm an NFL draft analyst, so I'll become notorious for sitting on the fence and giving non-answers, right? I try to I try to stray away from that when I can, but I'll give I do kind of sit on the fence here because I think both avenues have some merit. I think that, you know, you trade, you know, you kind of sub out capital this year for slightly earlier capital next year. I love that. And I think especially with the Packers, with Jordan Love, you do have a pretty nice attractive window here where you can be a little future minded and say, We have enough picks, we have enough depth. Let's plan for next year, get some higher capital. And then that way, like you said, if we're in a position where we're one player away, we can be more aggressive and use that capital, right? So I think there's definitely an argument for that. But at the same time, I'm an NFL draft guy. And I, you know, one thing that's always stood out to me is that every year, good players fall down the board, right? There's 32 different boards. There's 32 different teams. There's a lot of variance and there will always be good players available for you, right? So I think if you trade away a round two pick in 2025 and, and shift that out for a round three pick this year, right? Like, yeah, you're a little bit farther down the board, but there will still be quality options there. So I think any way you can get capital is good. What, what kind of capital you want is up to you. I think there's merit for both options, but my NFL draft you know, mine will tell me there's always good players. Good players always fall down the board and there's always going to be opportunities regardless of what path you take. But as a draft analyst, you'll also admit then that when you look at a draft board, there's usually a cutoff of, okay, here's kind of where the elite talent is right here. Uh, and then maybe there's a drop off just like there is in every position. Okay. These are the elite, you know, wide receivers. And then we've got a drop off. Now, how big of a drop off do we have? Don't know, but there's a drop off. And then there's a drop off with offensive linemen and so forth. So when you start tearing things off like that on draft boards, and I'm sure most do as far as how big the drop-off is in talent, those extra picks do come into play as far as, well, I better get up to this spot uh, if I'm going to have a chance to get whatever the elite player is at that position that I need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a it's not an exact process for sure. And I think that's the fun part of it, right? You know, you can kind of go through it every year. Like Carrington Valentine, to me, was the top 100 talent last year, and he fell to round seven. So it's just one of those things where, yes, there's going to be a drop off on the board. But with the amount of variance that that comes in with 32 different teams picking, you know, there's always going to be someone that falls and slips through the cracks, you know, and it's just it's it's a given every year as much as we like to think that it's a fine-tuned process like yeah this guy should be a good pro right you know should be a good talent um you know there's a lot more that goes into it character scheme fit injuries medicals as well uh so you know there's just so many variables it's it's tough to give a zero-sum exact answer for it 
But, you know, I will agree with you. There is usually a drop off. And if you want to fend that off a little bit, if you're willing to wait to get extra talent in 2025, which, again, a lot of guys return to school have that extra COVID year. So it should be a deeper class again uh, if you want to bank on that and kind of use that slightly higher momentum from that early capital to vault yourselves into Super Bowl contention. That's a good option as well. I think there's going to be a lot of depth for the next year because of that COVID year. One other thing before we take a break and then get to uh, players specifically. I saw before you came on, uh, there is a player agency, and it slips my mind which one it is, but it's a pretty big one, uh, that is telling its players this year they do not want them taking the cognitive testing anymore. They're done. They're not, they don't want their players taking it. It's because of what happened with Stroud last year, or at least what they perceived to have happened with Stroud. He didn't fall to the second round because of it. He still went very high. I mean, it didn't screw him necessarily, but there was a lot of that negative stigma kind of based around Stroud going into that draft because of that cognitive test. How big of a deal do you view that as? Yeah, me personally, cognitive tests have not been, you know, super, it hasn't been a necessity for me. I think with CJ Stroud too, like looking at the tape, you could tell off of his anticipation, his eye manipulation, uh, his ability to progress through reads and kind of multitask in the pocket with his vision outfield. You know, this is a guy who has the necessary processing capacity. I think more often than not, if you see it on tape and more than that too, if you get in a room with that player and you ask him football questions and he knows the answer and he has an inherent instinct for it, you know, I think teams have enough ammunition to answer those questions for themselves without a cognitive test, right? And me personally, like I'm a media guy, so that's all that I got is the tape, right? Like I will admit my perception is a little bit limited too. So I, I work with what I have, but working with that, the tape alone tells you a lot off of those factors. And then for NFL teams, getting in a room with those guys and asking them questions head on, I think that combined with the tape can give you enough answers to work with. So I don't think it's too big of a deal because I didn't put, I didn't see cognitive tests as a, as a one solution for all anyway. Um, but I think, you know, it's one of those things where for the NFL teams, every little bit of information is useful. So it's one more that they don't have, but I don't think it's going to hurt them too much in the long run. Talk with Ian Cummings again, uh, draft analyst for ProFootballNetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at IC underscore draft. That's IC underscore draft. Quick time out, come back. We'll talk about some of these players that might be around for the Packers at 25 and what he thinks of them. That's up next here on Curtin Long. Download it on your Odyssey app or if you download your favorite podcast ad. Also streaming live on your Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Uh, where uh, You can also go back and check uh, previous podcasts as well, the video contents of them on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Back after this. See Sparky, 5 or 1250 AM, The Fan. Check out all the interviews I do over at 1250amthefan.com. And, of course, the podcast, uh, Kurt and Long, normally Ryan Horvath and myself. Ryan Horvath uh, off today as uh, they are in New York celebrating his wedding anniversary. So congratulations to him and his beautiful wife. Ian Cummings filling in for him, special guest, draft analyst for profootballnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at IC underscore draft. I want to get into some specific players here. We were talking about Iowa earlier. Dijon is a guy that uh, is everybody is mocking to the Packers at 25. I'm sorry. Call me what you want. Jason Seahorn was the last okay white cornerback. I'm struggling here, Ian. I'm really struggling. I mean, there's talk he could play corner. There's talk he could play safety. Okay. Um, You tell me which one you think is better. They need safety. They have no safeties. None. So they need safeties. So my thought is they sign a veteran safety, hopefully, uh, and then they play a rookie safety next to that person, and then you draft others behind to help fill out that safety room. Cornerback, Stokes, I have no faith in being the same again. So you're talking about Jair Alexander, Valentine, Valentine if he's back. Um, So they definitely need corner help 
uh, as well. But but go ahead. Sell me on Dijon and tell me I should not be worried if he's playing corner. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to bring him up because every Packers mock that I see and every time I mock for them, if he's there, it's so hard. I try to vary my picks. Like Every on- mock I do on ProFootballNetwork.com, yeah. if he's there, I don't take him. But but that's okay, though. Go ahead. Just just rebelling against the wave. I, I, respect I, I just Jason Seahorn. That's all I say. Jason Seahorn. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, uh-uh, I'm not doing it. I will say I will say this. It is safe to be confident in Cooper DeJean. I think, you know, corner or safety, what does he play? I think he can be a hybrid between both spots. I think he can play both spots well. I think for the Packers, with Jeff Halfley coming in, you're going to see a lot more middle field closed coverage. And I think there will be opportunities for Cooper DeJean to do what he does best at corner, which is play kind of a cover three, you know, off man zone where he's inside saddle more often playing with his eyes to the QB. He's six foot one, he's 209 pounds. So, you know, he's pretty big dude, but he's pretty rocked up. He can be a little stiff on transitions because of that. But I think, you know, he's such an explosive gliding athlete in space. He's super rangy. His eye discipline, his route recognition, his football IQ, his ability to make plays on the ball, all of those things are top tier with him. And he's so good at kind of managing leverage and triggering when he needs to. Very good processor, very good athlete. Um, and I think that side saddle mold is going to be his best fit for the CD position. So, you know, if he plays a little bit more man in Halfley's scheme, might not be as good there. And that's why, you know, if Halfley does want to integrate a little bit more press man, that's when I would move Dijon to safety, potentially. You know, I think he's a guy who you don't need to confine him to any one spot. I think that's the fun part because his football IQ is so high and he is so athletic on the linear vertical plane, right? He's explosive. And as a support player too, 209 pounds, he's essentially a dime linebacker coming downhill. I mean, you watch him attack blocks. He is so good at taking control, gaining leverage, uh, deconstructing, breaking through and making tackles for a loss. I mean, and just, you know, kind of setting the line too on the boundary and not allowing receivers to get displacement off field. I mean, he's such a good support player, such a good playmaker and coverage, uh, high IQ, explosive. Again, where do you play him? I think you play him wherever he fits best situationally. I think you want to be fluid with it, but safety kind of a side saddle corner in certain situations too, particularly situations where you don't need to press them. Um, I think that's where he would fit best. But my, my philosophy is, hybrid DB and just let him move around, let him roam and let him be that playmaker. I'm a big fan of his. He's a top 25 guy for me. I think for the Packers, for their specific needs, there's a good chance that he could chip away at both. I will tell you what else I'm suffering from. It's Iowa cornerback scrap mill from Josh Jackson and that pick by the Green Bay Packers a couple of years ago. That was a complete flame out uh, and a complete bust as well. So I, I got... I have just a multitude of things here that I'm questioning, but either way, I would not be surprised because they like Iowa guys. So if that's the pick, I'm just going to be going. Yeah, makes sense. Saw that one coming. Could could have seen that. Okay. So let's say that's not the pick. Let's say that dude gets drafted early. Now let's talk about corners that may be at 25. Like I like Wiggins. I don't know if Wiggins is going to be there or not. I mean, that's a taller, like, what is he? Six, one, six, two, uh, cornerback that can run. Right. Um, so I like him. I don't know if he's going to be there. Who are the guys that you like that, you know, obviously the scheme that he's probably going to run coming from Boston college that maybe fits into this Packers defense fairly well. If they're sitting there at 25 uh, from a cornerback position, we'll do safety after, but just from a cornerback position. 
Yeah, corner, if Wiggins is there, I would love that fit. I think with Halfley, you know, a lot of times when you see middle field close coverage, it's cover three, side saddle zone, but I think he'll integrate a little bit more man there. So I would want a corner who's a little bit more multifaceted. I want a guy who can play zone and off man if needed, but also press upfield if needed too. You know, I want my corners in this scheme to be versatile, to, you know, kind of help alleviate pressure in that sense by being able to do different things. So I would really like Wiggins. I think Wiggins kind of fits that mold. He's a little bit lighter. At 6'2", but he's, you mentioned it, the speed is really impressive. I think he's going to run very fast to the NFL Combine, and it shows up on tape. He's got that vertical speed to erase separation downfield, but also close gaps and support. Uh, very instinctive cover man. I think he's really fluid. Again, route recognition, triggering early on plays, kind of seeing routes as they develop and, and kind of uh, diverting downhill. Very good ball skills, very good at contesting at the catch point, explosive vertical athlete as well. So I think you're looking at a lot of good building blocks for him. I think he's a top 20, top 25 guy for me too. So I don't know if he's there for the Packers if he runs fast enough, but big fan of what he has to offer. Another one that I like a lot from Iowa State, so don't worry, not Iowa, not just Iowa. Uh, Iowa State's TJ Tampa is one oh, yeah. that I'm a big fan of. I, I like him a lot. I think he's a little bit slept on in the round one discussion. I think, you know, he's six foot two, he's 200. So he's actually a pretty lean, wiry dude. He's got probably 33 inch arms. Um, I, I expect him to run very fast too, but he's one of the, you know, this year's corner class, you have a, a few more smaller guys like 5'11", 6 foot. Last year we had a lot of 6'2", six, 6'3", six, like Julius Brands, Christian Gonzalez. TJ Tampa stands out in that regard in this class because he is six foot two. He's very explosive, very fast, with really good corrective athleticism and twitch for his size too, really good foot speed. Um, and one thing that I really like about his game is his coverage variability. He can play press man. He can play off man and he's got really smooth pedal. He's very good at using kick steps to kind of vary his technique and maintain leverage. And he can play zone too. And he's a very good processor, very quick to trigger downhill, former wide receiver. So he's got ball skills and he's good. a very good support player too. So TJ Tampa for me, if you're looking for coverage variability, if you're looking for upside, speed, length, I think he provides the best mix of that for the Packers. But there's a few other guys too. Ennis Rakestraw from Missouri is one that I like a lot. He's primarily a man guy, but you know he's a playmaker as well. Kamari Lassiter from Georgia, very good in support, really good speed and ball skills too. There are options, but I think if you're the Packers, Nate Wiggins, TJ Tampa, probably the top ones for me. Good. Okay. So that's good. That makes me feel better. Okay. I'm fine with either one of those two. You sold me on Tampa. Uh, okay. So let's talk about the safety position. As I've told others, I don't like taking safeties in the first round. Call me old school. I mean, unless there's Ed Reed and it's blatant that this is a future, you know, pro footballer, uh, pro, you know, pro bowler or hall of famer. Fine. I don't see that in anybody in this draft. Um, I, I've seen just even debate among the top safety who the top safety is the kid from Miami or the kid from my uh, Minnesota. Uh, for what they want to play in Green Bay, who would be your top two safety uh, guys that you would look at? And would you consider either of them better than what we just talked about at cornerback at 25? Yeah, it's a good question because I think Cam Kitchens and Tyler Newbin, those are probably the top two that I would consider for Green yep. Bay and what they need because both those guys can play single high, middle field closed. But they're different players. Uh, they're both pretty big. Kinchins is 5'11", I think 208. So he's a dense dude. He's rocked up, very good in support. Tyler Newbin is around 6'2", 205, so a little bit bigger. But with Kinchins, there's a big trade-off with these guys. And it's something that you have to consider. Kinchins has that center fielder range. This dude has speed. He can cover ground. He can make plays. I think he had 11 interceptions over the past two seasons. So the dude is a ball hawk. He's a playmaker. Newbin had a lot of production on the ball, too. He's also a very, very good playmaker. But... Newbin doesn't have the center fielder range and speed that Kinchins has. Now, here's the kicker. 
I think Nubin is a better defender right now. I think he's a more instinctive coverage defender. Now, Kinchins has instincts, but to me, there are some lapses for him, some lapses with his eye discipline, with his recognition, where maybe he'll you know pass off a guy when he should carry it. Uh, Nubin, to me, is robotic with his consistency. He is just such a sound, instinctive, high IQ football player. Um, he's so good at recognizing and triggering instantly, you know, just in the heat of the moment. Uh, he sees things so well. He reacts so quickly. And I think he plays faster than what his 40 time is going to be. I think he's explosive enough to close gaps and pursue when he needs to. Very physical coming downhill. And he's super fluid in coverage too. You know, you, you watch him manage his hip leverage, uh, kind of throttle up and down to match guys in space. Uh, to me, Tyler Newbin has all of that. And he's a little bit more sound, a little bit more consistent as a processor than Kinchins is. So the trade-off is that speed. He doesn't have the speed, but I would be more confident with Nubin because he's just such a good football player outside of that. So I would consider Nubin in round one. Uh, he's not going to run super fast, but you think back to Justin Simmons with the Broncos. I think he ran sure. a high four, five, low four, six. Time speed doesn't matter as much if you see things quickly and if you're explosive in those short ranges too. I think Tyler Nubin is very explosive. And I think he's an incredible processor. I think his ability to see the game and react quickly is bar none, probably the best in the safety class. So he can play single high, he can play too high, he can enforce in the box. Uh, I would probably consider Nubin just because he's such a good football player. But if you do want to bank on that upside with Kinchins, that center fielder range is really unique to him. And it's something that can be very, very valuable in Halfley's scheme. It's something that he provides that not a lot of people do. So it's a trade-off. Do you go with the better football player who has enough athleticism? or the elite center fielder who is prone to coverage lapses and misses at times. So I think, you know, it's a trade-off, whatever one you want. I would prefer Nubin, but both guys are worthy of consideration in my mind. Okay, but are either one of those guys better than the cornerbacks we talked about if they were on the board at 25? Or would you roll the dice because they have two seconds, they drafted 41 in the second, or would you roll the dice and, and think that maybe you could snag one of those two at 41? Yeah, and here's the thing. I think the depth is a little bit better at corner. So if you feel good about the options that are still on the board, you can wait until 41. Another player that I haven't mentioned yet is Max Melton, who is the brother of Bo Melton, actually, yep. uh, from Rutgers. And he's very unique because he's 5'11", uh, but he's got 32-inch arms. So he's got long Ooh. arms, really wide disruption radius, and he's going to run off the 40-yard uh, dash time clock. He's going to run very fast, I think. Uh, he's, he's explosive, tenacious. He can play press man, off man, a little bit of zone, too, and he can play in the slot and the boundary. So another versatile guy with speed, length, that the Packers will probably like. But that's the thing. I think the depth – uh, for what you need, the Packers need a safety. You can play center fielder if necessary. You can play single high, middle field close. There's not as much depth in that role as there is at corner. So taking that into account, probably a better chance that you can get a very good safety at, yeah, at 25 or maybe trade down to 27 or 28 or 29 and get a good corner in round two. But that said, you know, you, you all, you're also passing up a talent like Wiggins or Tampa or maybe even Kool-Aid McKinstry if he falls. I haven't mentioned him yet, but there is a chance he falls to the mid-20s. If you, if he's there, I think you got to capitalize on that too because he's just such a sound cover man as well with man's own capabilities. So is it likely that there's a guy with comparable value? Tyler Newbin is very high on my board. He's a top 30 prospect. So I think he's in the same range as a Tampa or potentially a Wiggins if you want to consider him. Uh, but I think Kinchins is a little bit lower. So if, if it was only Kinchins there, I would probably go corner. If it was Newbin, I would 
I would consider Newbin or the corner. But I mean, the talent at corner is just, you know, it's so voracious with Wiggins and Tampa and McKinstry. If he's there, it's, it's pretty hard to pass up if, if, that, if that's available. This is interesting because you're, you're learning a lot here as you're listening to Ian talk about the, the variety and the difference uh, and just how good some of these corners are. Uh, and it makes me start thinking about, you know, if some of these corners do fall as you head into day two of this draft, whether or not they take that pick at the bottom of two, um, their second, second round pick, package it with maybe a third round pick or something like that, try and move up again uh, and maybe try and snatch uh, safety and two cornerbacks uh, in this draft there at the top of two and really just try to help improve that secondary for the Packers. I want to switch over to one other position before we wrap this up. That's running back. Uh, because obviously Aaron Jones is coming back, right? I mean, they're going to figure this out one way or the other. They cannot not figure it out. Uh, A.J. Dillon, highly doubt uh, he's coming back. Um, so they're going to need a running back, not only for this year, but for the future, because Aaron Jones isn't getting any younger. Uh, I love Kirby out of Oregon. That's my guy. That's uh, that. I think he fits beautifully. Um, having said that, I know other people uh, like other running backs in this draft. Uh, so you tell me, you know, second, third round pick, Somewhere in that area is probably where I'm figuring they're going to end up with a running back, uh, a guy that fits in with what Matt LaFleur likes to do uh, with this football team. Yeah, and real quick, corner safety. If you're looking for a case study, I do have a full seven-round mock draft releasing this weekend uh, at PFN where I actually actually trade down a little bit in round one, and I take a DB. I take a DB late in round one, and then I get another DB in round two. So I'll let you read, see what nice. positions I, I divert for. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty timely. So it's a, it'll be a good case Perfect. study. Yeah. All right. But uh, moving on to running back, I think for me personally, you know, just for what Aaron Jones provides, I would want something to kind of complement that, right? With AJ Dillon moving on, I would want a guy who has the the size, the density, the contact balance, the physicality to take a heightened volume if necessary, right? So I, I really like Bucky Irving out of Oregon, though. I, I love that you brought him up because he's such a fun player. I mean, he's, yeah, he is. He's around 5'10", 195, but he does not play like it. He plays with that chip on his shoulder. Uh, very explosive, high-energy player with really good vision and feel in congested areas, too. Uh, and he's got pretty good contact balance for his size. So I like him a lot. I, I wouldn't be mad if they took him. I think, you know, in the modern NFL, you don't necessarily need that elite volume back, right? Because it's, it's such a rotational league, right? Just having a good rotation is enough for a lot of teams. But if you want a volume back who can take heightened volume and kind of withstand physicality over a heightened period of time, uh, Trey Benson from Florida State is one that I like a lot. Six foot one, 220. He's got legit vertical speed once he finds a crease. He's got very good foot speed and corrective mobility in short areas. And he's actually a pretty good receiving threat too. He can make uh, catches beyond his frame. So I like Trey Benson a lot. Braylon Allen from Wisconsin is another one who's a pretty impressive player. Uh, I know he's a local nope. guy. Yeah, I can't do he, it. Can't, can't do, do it. it. No, nope. no, I, I just he can't stay healthy, man. I can't, I can't, I can't, man. I cannot. He's been, he's been hurt half the time. Like I, I can't just get in on Braylon Allen just because he can't stay healthy. If he can't stay healthy in college, how the hell is he going to stay healthy in the National Football League? I, I just no, I, I can't do it. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I yeah. get it based on. If you be, if you're basing it just on size, speed, and that, then sure. I mean, I get it. If if you haven't, you know, necessarily been here watching him miss games, fumbling the ball, and everything else, um, but I can't, I can't do it. 
Sorry. Well, I, I like. I think you know he's got a lot of wear on his tires because he did take a lot of that volume. So I think it'll be an interesting discussion for teams because he's still 20 years old, but yep. he has so much, so many carries on his belt already. So do you trust that, right? So I think NFL Combine medicals will be pretty big for him. But just thinking about the the size speed combination at 6'2", 245, being able to glide through those zones and finish with physicality, you know, that's something that would be a bonus for them but he's kind of on the day two day three fringe for me just because he's not quite as versatile as a receiver so i think that's another element doesn't provide as much of that but a few other guys audric Estime from notre dame is one that i like a lot i think he'd be a good fit in that role 511 227 the dude is a bowling ball but he's actually pretty athletic too you can see uh, there's highlights of him hurtling guys yeah uh, I saw. Two, yep. yeah that 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 highlights fun but you watch his actual tape too like He's very efficient working between tackles. He doesn't dally around much in the backfield. He's pretty, you know, cut cut and dry, very workmanlike. He'll take his gap. He'll get upfield. Not a lot of wasted motion, so you'd like to see that. Um, and then a few other guys, Isaiah, Isaiah Davis from South Dakota State is one of my guys. Like if you can get him, your guys, yeah, if you can get him round three, round four, I'm a big fan of his as a volume back. I think he, he's not, he doesn't have quite as much vertical speed, but Isaiah Davis to me, six foot, six foot, 220. Um, and he was at the senior bowl and he actually had some nice reps catching the ball and running routes. But as a runner behind the tackles, behind the line of scrimmage, uh, for being a 220 pound guy, like he's got physicality, he can finish with force, but he's a very good creator. I think his ability to set up running lanes, set up blockers and capitalize on that in real time for a guy that big is very impressive to me. He's got the vision, he's got the creative instincts, and he can capitalize on it with his toughness and physicality. So I like Isaiah Davis. One more I'll throw out there, Dylan Lobby from New Hampshire. Another guy who, if you're looking for receiving versatility, uh, this guy's got it. He is an elite slot receiver at 5'9", 5'10", 210 pounds. But he's also pretty dense, man. He's pretty explosive heading upfield. He's got the frame to take volume if you need him to. Lobby's a guy that I like a lot, too, if you want that receiving versatility. I think there's a lot of multifaceted upside there. So this class, though, this class in particular, you know, I'll just throw this out there. Like, if you're Green Bay, there, there are options on day two. But you can also wait until day three because you've got guys like Ray Davis, Kamani Vidal. You've got Cody Schrader potentially, right? There's a lot of talent that's in the middle rounds of this running back class. I mean, that's where it's the deepest is the middle later rounds. So if you want to wait for that point, shore up the offensive line and make sure the blocking's up to par, yeah. um, you could get some solid value. So I'll just say that. Like, there's not a cut and dry method for it. The offensive line has to be addressed too, but we're out of time. Can't get to the offensive line. But I agree with you. Offensive line is something that needs to be addressed as well, especially if – Bakhtiari is done. And while Rasheed Walker played well, Brian Goodenkins even said, I don't know if he's a left tackle or if he's a right tackle, but he definitely improved throughout the year, which then leads to Zach Tom, who played out of his mind at right tackle, who I think is an all-pro at guard. Um, and he played very well at right tackle. But if you slide him in at guard, oh my God, him and Nelton Jenkins, those are two of the best guards in the league probably. Um, and then if Walker slides to right, I mean, there's so many options. I don't know. It's fun. I could talk draft all day long. Uh, he is Ian Cummings. Follow him on Twitter at IC underscore draft. Draft analyst for profootballnetwork.com. Watch for his seven-round mock draft. And we'll see what this looks like for the Packers. He says he's got him trading back. So we'll see what this looks like for Green Bay. And then uh, well, maybe we'll hook back up with him again and uh, go over that seven-round mock draft. Ian, thank you so much, my friend. appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.